Um, now, if you're like me, <clears throat> you realize that we live in two cities, right? We live in the city of God and the city of man. And um, it's in the city of God where we celebrate Christmas as the day when Jesus became a man, when God came to be with us in the incarnation. But we live in another city, in a secular city, where Christmas is, is just another holiday. Christmas is a time to celebrate warmth and kindness and peace and charity and all really good things. Um, but in the secular city that we live in, when we talk about the spirit of Christmas, we're talking about that sentimentality, a sentiment, um, not a personal God who visits humanity. And now for us who are citizens of the city of God, that means that we live in both of these cities. And around Christmas time, we celebrate both things. We, we do the Christmas festivities, and yet we also um, realize that the true reason for the season is Jesus, the, the person of God coming to be with us. And if you have children then you realize, okay, I want to teach them the true meaning of Christmas. And I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I realize that that is a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, we, at the end of the Christmas season, if you're like me, maybe you think, did I, did I really do it? Did I teach them the true spirit of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas? Or was it lost somewhere along the way, like maybe in that big pile of wrapping paper? They got thrown away. Um, this year, because my children are old enough to start understanding Christmas, we have been doing the Advent calendar as we lead up to Christmas. And we've been lighting the candles, and we've sung, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I've tried to teach my son in particular that, you know, there, there, there may be two Christmases, but this is the true Christmas. And, um, you know, there may be another Christmas character out there, but he's pretend. And Jesus, though, is, is real. He really came to be with us. This is a true story. But because my son is a three-nager, um, and he's very defiant and confrontational, despite all of my efforts to teach him the true meaning of Christmas and all of the candles and the Advent, and all the things we've done, he still insists that, no, um, that other Christmas character is the real one, and Jesus is the pretend one. So I'm wondering, did I fail as a parent? Did I teach him? It's so hard to compete, isn't it? It's hard to compete with that other Christmas, the one with you know, lights and inflatable polar bears and tinsel and garland and you know it's hard to compete with that it's hard for a manger and a baby and shepherds to compete with that christmas and i realized you know this is me too i too am compelled by this world that i live in with all the glitter and the the shininess and even though i know it's pretend it still is an escape from the pain and the darkness of this world and I, I get my son's defiance um, of insisting on the other Christmas. But, you know, um, we even take the sentimentality of 
of the secular Christmas and sometimes apply it to the true Christmas story. And we tell this cleaned up version of Christmas. It's like when I was little, I had a, a precious moment's nativity scene, you know, and it was just so cute and clean and sentimental. A couple of years ago, um, a Jesuit priest named James Martin was commenting on this. He says, I think we've tamed Christmas. He said, the way we tell it now, he says, it's a nice, pretty story about two nice, good-looking people, usually white. You know, they had a pretty baby in a manger. But in a sense, it's a terrifying story in terms of what they had to undergo. And it's also, I have to say, it's a shocking story. It's not just a baby. It's God being born in in human form. And it's just as shocking as the resurrection. And I think we've tamed it. In a sense... It doesn't demand our belief. We can just kind of look on it and say, well, that's cute. We've tamed Christmas. And yet, John, the, the author of the Gospel of John, tells us, no, this is a shocking story. We have to get Christmas. You have to get this. You know, in the midst of all the festivities of Christmas um, and all my attempts to teach my son the true meaning of Christmas, one thing did come through. Um, Every time that we sang that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, around the candles, and I see that light flickering in his eyes, I would say, Jasper, what does Emmanuel mean? And he would get a big smile on his face, and he would say, God with us. And I'm like, yes, that's it. If you only learned one thing at three years old, you learned that, Christmas means that God is with us, then you got it. That's what it means. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the incarnation is about. And that's what this passage in the Gospel of John, the very beginning, is all about. God with us. That baby in the manger is God with us. His name is Emmanuel. And that's such an important phrase, God with us. That's what we're going to look at today. And those three words are actually going to be our outline because that's what John is saying is to understand Christmas. The true response to Christmas is awe and wonder and worship. And to get the wonder of the incarnation, you have to see that it's God with us. So let me pray as we do that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, We pray that you would give us new eyes to see in a new way the wonder of the Incarnation. This is such a familiar story to us. Lord, help us to break through the familiarity and show us something new and something old this morning that you came to be with us. And Lord, give us um, the ability to worship you in wonder and awe. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So John starts his letter, starts his gospel with telling us, you have to understand Christmas. And for John's gospel, it's not your usual Christmas sermon. Normally you get Matthew or Luke. You know, you get the wise men. You get the story of the nativity scene. But in John, there's no nativity scene. There's no wise men. There's no shepherd. There's no angel. There's no star. There's no little town of Bethlehem. There's no animals. There's, no, there's not even a Mary or Joseph. See, for John, he begins the story of Christmas, and he says, we have to go back further than that. 
In fact, we have to go all the way back. We have to go back into eternity, to the beginning. He says, if you really want to understand Christmas, if you really want to wonder at the incarnation, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. See, um, John is a theologian, and he's giving us the theology of Christmas. And when you start to study theology, you learn words that, you learn these bigger words that explain things, um, divisions within theology. And one of those words, if you start to study theology, is Christology. Christology is what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about the Christ. And here's the thing, everyone has a Christology. Every single person has to look at Jesus and say, who do you believe that Jesus is? Some people would say, well, I like Jesus, I just don't worship him, I'm not a Christian, but I think he's a good teacher. I think he's a moral teacher, or a miracle worker, maybe a prophet, but he's not someone to be worshipped. But John doesn't give us that option. John starts his gospel telling us who Jesus is. And in theological language, this is an extremely high Christology. Some of the highest Christology in the entire Bible. He says there's only one option. You have to see that Jesus is God himself. That baby in the manger is God himself. Which means that he is eternal. That's why he says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's saying that baby in the manger is from before all time. That baby in the nativity scene, that is God himself. That is the eternal God. As far back as you can go, Jesus was there. He's always existed. And he's using, the words he's using there are the very first words of the Bible. If you flip back to Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created. And John is saying, I want you to think of Genesis. I want you to think of those first pages, because that was Jesus. That was the work of Jesus. He says in verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. He's saying that little baby in the manger is the creator. If you remember the creation story, you remember that the way God created it was through his word. Through speaking everything into existence. And John is saying that word is Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus created all things. Everything that exists was created by him. Everything that you can look at in this world was created by that baby in the manger. And if anything makes me wonder, if anything brings me to awe, it's creation. You know, I have um, recently taken up surfing now that I live on the West Coast. And um, here's the thing. I, there, I, have, I don't have an athletic bone in my body. And I am not an adrenaline junkie. I do not want to risk my life and limb um, in the pursuit of that. But one of the things that, that really drew, drew me to surfing is that I get to be in creation. I get to sit, even if I'm not riding a wave, I get to sit in the Pacific Ocean and look at God's creation. And I can't help but be in awe of it. A few weeks ago, I was at, at Devereux Beach out um, 
near UCSB. And there was one of just the epic winter sunsets that we get here in Santa Barbara. And I'm on the water as the sun is setting. And I look out and I see the sun dipping below the horizon. And there's just red light all over the entire sky. And the sun is reflecting off these little peaks of clouds, trailing uh, the reflection of the sun off into the sky. And everyone out on the water is just sitting on their boards staring at it. Just like everything in me wanted to worship, wanted to applaud. And, and it's not just because I'm a Christian. That's our natural response. Everyone out there on the water is like, I've got to look at this. I've got to be in awe and, and, and behold this and wonder. And John is saying, that little baby in the manger, he created that. He made that sunset. He made that sky. He made the ocean and the, the way the sun reflects off the clouds and the water. He created all that. He created the mountains. He sculpted those hills. And he made the grains of sand. And he created the orcas and the dolphins and the sandpipers and the pelicans and the crabs and the butterflies and the bumblebees. He made everything. He made the deserts. He formed Mount Everest. He created the Andes Mountains and the Cape of South Africa and the Nile River. He made the redwoods and the Appalachians. He, he formed the continents. He made llamas and beetles and even spiders. He made planets and galaxies and stars and every element on the periodic table. He created oxygen that's in every breath that we breathe. Everything that exists was made by him. Think about that. That's what John is telling us to do. Think about that. Everything you see was created by the baby in the manger. Emmanuel, God with us. And he made me, and he made you. He created all humanity, and then, this is the wonder of the incarnation, he became one of us. He became one of us whom he created. And he did it not in the momentary illusion of a magic trick, and he did it not in chariots of fire splitting open the sky and coming down. He, he did it in the lowly birth. The gestation period, nine months gestation in a human womb, and he was born to be God with us, to be Emmanuel. The incarnation is incredible, and it's, it's just mind-blowing to believe that the creator of the universe became the stuff of creation. He became like us. But he's also telling us something else here by invoking Genesis. By looking back to the beginning of the Bible, he's saying Jesus wasn't, it's not just that he was the creator, he is the creator, and he is doing something new right now at Christmas. He is doing something new and coming to earth as a man. And he is starting a new creation. 
He's starting a new people who will be born of the will of God, who will be united to him, and he's making a new you and a new me. And so that's part of what John is telling us by invoking Genesis. And in fact, you don't even have to be a believer to see this part. Um, Last week in the New York Times, there was an op-ed by an English professor who's not a Christian who was talking about the wonder of the incarnation as a non-Christian looking in from the outside. And this is what he said. He said, one not need be a conventional Christian. I'm not to see the significance of the nativity story because what the nativity story conveys is a narrative of wonder threaded through prosaic reality where the birth of a child is an act of God's self-creation, where a manger can be the site of the universe's new genesis. See, at the birth of Jesus, God is creating something new. The creator of all things is remaking the universe. And he's not a distant deity that, is, that just wound up the clock of evolution and let it go. He is the creator God who entered into creation and was born to a woman to show that, that he is with us. And that with is a very important word. It's easy for us to pass over when we say, God is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. But we have to see what that word means. In verse 14, John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelled, maybe you've heard before, is actually another Old Testament word that John is evoking. Um, It's not just he lived among us. It's not just that he resided among us. The literal word there is he tabernacled among us. And if you know the story of God's people, you know that when God redeemed them from Egypt and led them through the desert and the wilderness, they lived in tents. And God said, because my people live in tents, I will live in a tent as well. And I will come and make a tabernacle and and I will dwell in it. And the glory of God dwelled in the tabernacle. Because he's a God who always wants to be with his people. And he's the God who took on flesh to become one of us. And here's the thing about birth. You know, when we think about Christmas and we think about this miracle of the incarnation, this wonder of of God taking on flesh, it's easy to say the word became flesh, but birth is, is messy. Birth is painful. We call it the miracle of life, and it is, but it's also kind of a traumatic thing. You know, we sing the song, you know, away in the manger, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And we all realize that's a myth, right? If you've ever witnessed a birth, you know there is crying. Babies cry. That's what they do. And Jesus entered into humanity the same way we do, through birth, through taking on not a, not a tent, but flesh and bone and blood. And if you're, if you're a pregnant woman, you can feel free to tune me out here. Um, if you've ever witnessed a birth, you know that it is a thing of beauty and a thing of pain. That's why we call it labor. And yes, I'm aware that my wife is pregnant, um, and this is not our first rodeo, so that's okay. We've been there before. Um, but I remember the first birth that I ever witnessed. Um, I was 
in the basement of a church in South America, and I was translating for for a birth because the the baby came sooner than expected. The doctors weren't there. There was just midwives and a resident and me translating the word push over and over again into Spanish. Um, and it was... It was the miracle of life, but it was traumatic to me as a 20-year-old. And I remember the baby almost didn't make it. And they, they hold up this little baby by its heels, and its skin is blue, and I can see every rib. And I just thought, you know, they're, they're smacking it on the back to get it to, like, cough something up and breathe. I'm thinking, this is how this, this human being entered the world in pain and trauma. And then when that baby cries and takes its first breath, you're like, this is a wonderful thing, but this is a painful, traumatic thing. Birth itself is messy and painful. And, and that's the way Jesus entered the world on Christmas, was the incarnation as him being born of a woman. The word became flesh, just like us. And from that moment on, his passion began. Because to be human, from, from birth on, is to suffer. To suffer in this broken, cursed world. And the creator of all things, the one who made the stars and the mountains and, and everything that we see is now crying and rooting around on his mother's breast and being cared for as a vulnerable child. John wants us to understand that. The creator of all things became flesh. That's the wonder of the incarnation. And you know, it's good for us. It's good news for us because he came not just to to journey here for a day, to do his work, to die on the cross, and to, to leave. But he dwelled on earth as a man. He lived his life here. And because of that, He's God with us. He's with us in every situation of life. He knows what it's like to be human. With means suffering. You know, this year I've been really struck by the, the words of a particular Christmas carol. Um, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the words there. It was actually written by Longfellow during the Civil War. And he says, I hear those bells on Christmas Day. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. But... When I look out my window and I see the world that I live in, he says, in despair I hung my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. And we look at our world, we see suffering. And maybe you think, I just celebrated Christmas and I know I'm supposed to be rejoicing, but I still, I, I, the story's not over yet. And so I'm still in this world that, that is where Jesus has come, but yet he's coming again. And Jesus says, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be human. See, with means suffering. The incarnation, Christmas, means that God knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to live by faith. He knows what it's like to live in this broken world. With means empathy. And that's what we need, right? I recently was talking to a friend who's been going through a difficult time and a trying time. And 
he met someone else who had been through the same thing as him. And he said, gosh, it's such a blessing. Such a blessing to have someone who's been through this before that I can talk to. That's what we need when we're going through a tough time, right? We want someone who's been there before. And Christmas, the incarnation, means that God is with us, that he actually has been here. He's gone through it. Whatever you are experiencing, he has gone through it. He can identify with us, and he can be with us in that moment and know what it's like. In fact, the writer of of Hebrews said it this way. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, the incarnation means that Jesus can sympathize with us. He can have compassion on us, which literally means to suffer with us. And that's what we look for in friends. That's why C.S. Lewis said that the beginning of every friendship is when we look at someone else and we say, oh, you too. Me too. I've been there. I understand that. Oh, you like cycling? So do I. Oh, you are an English major? So was I. Jesus gets to look at us in our suffering and say, me too. In our loneliness, in our abandonment, in our betrayal, he says, I know what it's like. Because the incarnation tells us that the one who created all things came to be with us, to be human in order to sympathize with us, in order to redeem us from this brokenness and this curse. And because of that, he really is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that is something to wonder in. How could it be that the one who created all things knows what it's like to be forsaken? It knows what it's like to be hungry or to be tired who knows what it's like to be abandoned and forsaken, who knows what it's like to, to labor for food and shelter, who knows what it's like to make friends, who knows what it's like to live in family, who knows what it's like eventually to be beaten and crucified, who knows what it's like to die. How can that be? that the, the creator of the universe would enter in and know what it's like to die. That's the incredible thing about the incarnation. But, you know, that preposition is, is important in another way. Um, if you remember from middle school, um, a preposition is anything that a squirrel can do to a tree. At least that's the way I was taught in rural South Carolina. Um, a squirrel can be over, under, around, underneath, upon. Those are prepositions. And with is a very important preposition in this passage that we could easily gloss over. But we can't gloss over it today because we have to, to think God with us. God with us. Of all the prepositions He could have chosen. He chose to be with us. And Fleming Rutledge, in one of her Advent lectures, said, you know, it's especially important to see that God is with us because he could have very easily been 
against us. God against us. But instead we have God with us. And the good news of the incarnation is even better news when you realize who we are. When you examine that he is with sinful, rebellious humanity. You know, we often live like he's against us, even though we confess him to be Emmanuel, God with us. And if we believe that he is with us, then we can live life with him. And the only way we'll do that is if we see what great lengths he took to be with us and what great love he has for us. I'm going to go back to verse 14. It says, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, John is telling us that he can be God with us, with us, only because of grace. Only because of grace. He's not God with us because of the law, because we fulfill the law, and we earn his favor, and he loves us because we're lovable. He's God with us because of grace because he is full of grace and truth. Grace upon grace. Not just general grace, but specific grace. Saving grace. And that's why um, a few chapters later, John would famously say, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to come and redeem the world. He loved humanity. Do you, do you understand how rare that is and how unbelievable that is? I don't love humanity. Humanity is not lovable. We are hard to love. Um, if you've ever worked retail <laughs> during Christmas, you know that all of that stuff about the spirit of Christmas and warmth and charity and peace and love and goodwill... Like, people throw that out the window when they go to do their shopping. And I was a barista for several years, and Christmas is the hardest time to work retail. And you see the worst of humanity at retail. Now, I'm exaggerating. But even at Christmas, when we want to be our best, you see our selfishness, our temper, our self-absorption, we all think the world revolves around us, and we're mad when it doesn't. You know, I went out on Christmas Eve um, to Trader Joe's to do some grocery shopping, and I thought it was really interesting that Trader Joe's hired an extra security guard to police the parking lot on Christmas Eve. Um, if you've been to the Trader Joe's on De La Vina, you know that it even says park at your own risk out there. Um, but Trader Joe's is saying Christmas Eve is going to be worse. And I saw the security guard and I said, what, are you here to like keep us from killing one another on Christmas Eve? And he says, ah, yes. <laughs> That's why I'm here. We, we are violent. Yes, we are capable of good things. Yes, 
There's a lot of beauty in humanity because we're created in God's image and we have his common grace. But we are a violent, abusive, lying, cheating group of people. We're enemies of God. We're rebels. And God looked on that humanity and said, I love it. I love them. I'm not going to let them die and perish. I'm actually going to become one of them. That's the humanity I love, the sinful ones. I'm going to come for the sick. I'm going to come for the unhealthy and the unrighteous, the worst of humanity, because I love humanity. God so loved the world. It's easy for us to say, but if we stop and think about it for a minute, it's astounding. Why would he do it? Why would he, who, who was rich, who was with God in the beginning, come and take on flesh and be born into poverty and suffer the plight of humanity and then become crucified on the cross and die to redeem us? It's not because of us. It's because of his love. It's because of grace upon grace. It's because he is full of grace and truth. God loved this broken, sinful, rebellious humanity, and his name is love. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. That's why John ends by saying, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, God with us, Emmanuel, means that he didn't, he didn't escape this world. He came into the dark world in order to redeem us so that we might be sons and daughters, so that we could live life not against him, but we could live life with him. That's what he did for us, and that's why God with us is good news. That's why Emmanuel is his name and his banner over us is love. And if we get that, we, if we get that, if we see that he is coming into this world to redeem us from the curse, as far as the curse is found, he's coming to make his blessings flow. If we get the wonder of the incarnation, if we understand who that baby in the manger is, it leads us to rejoice. It leads us to awe and worship greater than any sunset we've ever seen. So let's continue with the spirit of Christmas and worship him today and rejoice in all that he's done for us.